So as, as you're, of course, well aware, we find ourselves in, in the book of Titus. Um, I've had the, the blessed privilege in, in times past to preach through the book of Titus uh, in the Kuma church, which we're somewhat associated with, uh, at least in, in relationship of a few of us. Uh, and so I'm, I'm relatively familiar with the content, hopefully, um, and was able to, I don't know if it's easier to rejig an old message to preach at a, a different church or if it's just easier to write the whole thing again. But nonetheless, uh, this is somewhat uh, used material uh, rejigged for our purposes here today. Um, but Tom and I, when we uh, first met and, and discussed about preaching through the book of Titus, he asked me if I'd uh, preach through uh, Titus chapter 2. And as I say, being relatively familiar with the content, I said, ah, yes, the uh, the chapter that speaks about uh, wives and, and submission and all that, that good stuff. Great. Thank you, brother. Very good. I'll, I'll take that one. Good one. <laughs> uh, but there's, uh, I've discovered really over the last, well, it's probably been an extended period, but it's come to my attention in my, uh, you know, it, it's been brought to my attention just in the course of events that I, I have a great passion for the, the family unit uh, and hence the, the roles that exist within that. Uh, and so this passage that we're going to go through today, Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 6, uh, really nobody uh, is off Paul's hit list. He, he talks about uh, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And so depending on exactly where you draw the line of what younger is, uh, perhaps the only folks here who would be exempt today are, are the, the infants. Uh, so it, really everybody gets a mention today, uh, and so everybody ought to be uh, paying attention. And one thing that's worthy of mention uh, is you know, many of us would, would perhaps be classified as, as younger, uh, but Lord willing, we will be older one day. And so even the characteristics which are described of the older men and women, those of us who are younger should still be paying attention to because this is to be the, the thrust of our lives. This is the, to be the direction uh, that we're focused upon. Uh, so let's once again uh, just have a quick word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of the sermon. Thank you, Lord, for your word delivered once and for all to the saints. Thank you for your, your holy word, the Bible, which we can study today. And I, I pray that every Sunday when we gather that we would study it with, with zealousness and with keen ears and a keen heart. Uh, but certainly may that be the case today. I pray that you would bless me as I speak, not that I would be uh, some eloquent orator, but certainly that the, the words that I say would be clearly spoken so that your people might clearly receive them. Uh, get me, as it were, out of the way. And may you just speak through me to your people. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus, in, in a very, very broad overview, um, in one way of looking at things, is broken into to three sections, three chapters, three sections. Uh, chapter 1 deals, uh, in large part, again, broadly speaking, uh, with elders. Chapter 2 has to do with the family and the church, and that's certainly where we'll uh, go into in part today. And chapter 3 is, is sort of to do with doing good in the world and, and a bit more on the church and just a general 
uh, discussion of things. But to recap uh, what uh, Tom preached on last week, uh, Tracy and I listened to the sermon on the way back from Sydney yesterday, so it's somewhat fresh in my mind. Uh, at least there were two potentially more uh, main points which he drew out of the text. Uh, the first being to rebuke those who teach falsely and those who act like the, the cretins, which are described in verse 12. And not just to rebuke, but to rebuke sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And certainly that's something that I picked up on the on, in the text as well, to not just rebuke for the sake of beating someone over the head with a theological fry pan, but to rebuke them sharply. Why? In order that they may be sound in the faith. And if ever we find ourselves in that position of bringing a word of rebuke against someone, it ought to be that the person be sound in the faith, not just for exercising some sort of supposed spiritual authority or, or whatever else we might think that we have, but we rebuke in order to love the one we're rebuking that they may be sound in the faith. Uh, and in the, in the Cretan or the Cretan context, uh, in order that these false teachers would stop in their false teaching and be uh, good and right teachers. And secondly, there was, there was good discussion of to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And it's a, in some ways a tricky passage to interpret, uh, but at least what I took from it was that to those who have had their hearts, their consciences and their lives washed by God, what they put their hand to or the general thrust of their lives is pure. And this is because God has purified the whole of their lives in general. And so what they then put themselves towards, what they put their hand to, will be pure. doesn't mean that unlawful acts then all of a sudden become lawful acts, but the general thrust of this purified person's life will be pure. And the opposite is true of the unregenerate. So I want to read through uh, where Tom started from in verse 12 of chapter 1, and we'll read right through to chapter 2, verse 6, which will, uh, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 2 will be our text for today. So Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And our text for the day. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. 
previously in looking at the text uh, and specifically verse 1, I thought that maybe the, uh, the folks who put in the, the chapter, chapter numbers and the verse numbers uh, had made you know, a little bit of a mistake because, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, uh, seems to relate more to what Paul has discussed in chapter 1. Uh, but in looking at the, uh, the text afresh, I see that verse 1 of chapter 2 and verse 15 sort of form bookends of the, the same chapter and of the same subject. So verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Skipping right over to verse 15, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So the, the teaching according to sound doctrine spoken of in verse 1 uh, is indeed the these things spoken about in verse 15. So we see that Paul uh, starts with one thought and he finishes with another, forming a sort of bookend summary of both sides of the chapter. But as for the meaning of the verse itself, Paul exhorts Titus to not be like the insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, the circumcision party or the cretins, uh, but to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the rest of the chapter, verses 2, two to 14, goes on to lay out what that looks like, at least in part. But as I mentioned in introduction, nobody is, uh, nobody is out of Paul's crosshairs in this chapter, so older men are, are first on the, the hit list, as it were. And again, as I've thought through these verses, it occurs to me that in this particular congregation, we have, uh, in large part, a, a relatively a small age group uh, of folks who come to attend. And so Paul's going to go on to say, especially uh, he names to, to younger women, but the same is true of, of younger men, that they should uh, seek those who are older in order to gain wisdom from them. And he commands the, the older women and the older men uh, to teach good things to those who are younger. Uh, and within this particular congregation, there's not, a, as I say, a great breadth of age and I think whilst, of course, we should make use of those who uh, have good spiritual maturity, there is also something to be said for those who have uh, spiritual maturity and maturity in years of age. Um, so, Lord willing, uh, older folks will, will come. But I think in the meantime, it's good for us to consider who we can get good wisdom from uh, who are older in years and older, older in the faith or more mature in the faith. Uh, whether that be from uh, folks who we've known from previous churches or uh, older family and friends who are, as I say, older in, in years and spiritual maturity. Uh, it's certainly not a bad thing to have a, a congregation who is, uh, as I say, relatively similar in age, but it's something to be aware of and to make sure that it's still in a, a part of our spiritual diet, as it were. But older men... Paul says that the characteristics of a godly older man, older men are to be firstly sober-minded, the ESV translates it. Now sober here, uh, the literal word refers to uh, like not being out of your mind, not being uh, physically drunk, I would say, uh, but most translators uh, translate it to a, a more general form, to not just be not physically drunk, but not to be out of your mind, to be sober-minded. 
As I say, the, this notion has been interpreted more broadly and metaphorically by most translators to include total sobriety of mind and character. Secondly, to be dignified. Philippians 4.8 uses the same word where it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honourable or honest. This is the meaning of, of dignified. And a synonym of the same word is, is venerable, which the reliable Google dictionary informs me is accorded a great deal of respect, especially because of age, wisdom or character. Now pause that for a second there and consider, is this younger men, older men and really everybody, is that the thrust of your life? Will you be a person who is worthy of being accorded a great deal of respect because of age, wisdom or character? I think it's really a, a high calling to be someone who can be described as that. And older men are to be self-controlled. They are to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Faith, these older men are to be godly examples, people who have lived out gospel truth for years on end, and who others can then look to and say, this is the kind of example that I want to follow. This is the kind of person who I need to be in Christ. And younger men, once again, let that be a, a challenge to you that if you, Lord willing, are to be older one day, this is to be the thrust of your life now. This is to be the thrust of my life now. Will I be the kind of person who is accorded a great deal of respect because of my wisdom, my age and my character? Will I be an example of faith? Will I be sound in faith? Will I be an example that people can look to to say, I want to be like that guy, not to my glory, but because I've lived an example of faith and godliness over the course of many years. So sound in faith and in love. Love is the, uh, the word agape, which is probably a Greek word that folks have some familiarity with. And it's sometimes translated as charity. It's used in Romans 13.10 where it says, Love, agape, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love, same word again, is the fulfilling of the law. And so it's somewhat difficult for me to get the full weight of that across. But older men are to be sound in faith and in love is the love that older men and all of us again, is the love that we are sound in, the kind of love that fulfills God's law. And that is a, a weighty and a big statement and it's impossible for me in just human articulation to really get it across. It depends on God's Holy Spirit to impress it upon our hearts. But is that, the, is that the kind of people that we are in Christ? Do we have the kind of love that fulfills God's law? And finally, old men are to be uh, sound in steadfastness. And in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man, this is how steadfastness is described, in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety or holiness by even the greatest trials and suffering. 
It comes with the connotations of, of persevering with patient hope. As we see in James 1 verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And if you were to just take all of those things in bite-sized chunks, you might go, well, yeah, sure, it seems like a relatively big calling, but so far as it goes, okay. But all of these characteristics are what older men are called to be. And really, the, the text goes on to say, likewise, women are to be such and such and such. So really, women, men, all of us, are to exemplify these characteristics. We're to be sound in faith, in love, the kind of love that fulfills the law, and in steadfastness, the kind of people who will pursue Christ regardless of any circumstances in the world, regardless of any circumstances in our lives, and that we will never be swerved from that course. And so to speak to younger men once again, do these characteristics define you? Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Are these things the direction of your life? And in order to aid us in our, our practical application of this, um, I would exhort you um, later in the day, during the week, whatever it might be, uh, to, to look at what, you know, no matter whether you're the, the older woman, the younger woman, the older man, the younger man, to look at the characteristics which Paul uh, says that these people ought to be and consider how this weighs up against your own life. Are these the characteristics that define you? Is it the direction you are going? And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm sure, I don't mean that just to be, a, again, a beat across the head with a, a theological fry pan. I hope that these things are the direction of your life. But where these characteristics are wanting, pray, seek that these things would, would be applied more readily in your life. So there's older men. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. This reverence here is not simply reverence for reverence sake, you know, sitting in the corner with hands upheld, looking all holy and pious, uh, but it denotes a, a holiness and a reverence unto God. The King James says that they be, be in behavior as becometh holiness. And that holiness is, is befitting men, places, actions, or sacred things to God. So you could take the concept and describe it like this. And again, this is a huge challenge to all of us. Older women and all of us ought to act in such a way that is fitting for someone in God's very presence. Imagine like this if you had Jesus Again, who we, we uh, contemplated in the, uh, the opening of the service, if we had Jesus, the creator of the whole world, the, the one who is perfect, the one who died for our sin, who rose again, who is Lord over all, if we had him beside us in every day, following us like a shadow, would our actions, our thoughts, and our meditations be pleasing to him? This is the kind of reverence that older ladies are called to. They are to be reverent. They are not to be slanderers. And look, I, I like to mention Greek partly because it interests me, um, although I'm sure I'll get it wrong on occasion. But not slanderers, 
uh, is the words me diabolos. And the diabolos, you can hear in it diablo, which is where we get our, our word uh, devil. And it means uh, false accusers, slanderers, gossips, accusers. Uh, so don't be like the devil is a, probably a pretty good notion for us all. But that diablo, diabolos is accusers. It's used scripture-wide or New Testament-wide uh, to refer to the devil. Don't be like the devil. Don't be a false accuser. As a Christian, we ought to love and promote truth and good thinking of our neighbor not give out to the slander and evil thinking that comes more naturally. And that's perhaps a, uh, a subjective aside. I don't know about you guys, but I feel subjectively better when I speak well of people as opposed to when I falsely accuse or when I bring people down. So even from a, a selfish subjective perspective, it makes more sense to speak well of people uh, than to bring them down, than to accuse, than to gossip. And hopefully you'll, you'll take this in the way that it's meant, uh, and I mean it humbly. But men are not exempt from such things. Uh, men are not exempt from being slanderers or gossips or whatever else. Uh, but could I put it to you that perhaps ladies are more naturally inclined uh, to these characteristics? And maybe that is why uh, Paul mentions it of, of ladies. Again, most of these characteristics are rightly being applied to all of us but maybe why Paul mentions it specifically of ladies and not in the list of gents. Indeed, in my own working role, uh, it's very easy to become a gossip, to become one who slanders others. So I, I personally need to apply that characteristic. Uh, but could I exhort ladies to, to soberly uh, consider that? And lastly, ladies are not to be slaves to much wine. So in your wine consumption or really consumption of anything if you can't say that you are consuming it to the glory of god then there's a problem again with with jesus beside us right here uh, in that that reverence that we spoke about as the first characteristic if jesus would not approve then it ought not to be something that we would do but uh, in as much as we live chaste lives in accordance with God's commands, uh, just like Tom prayed before, we will know true joy. So to obey God is really to know true joy and not to be uh, unduly restricted. The last part of verse 3 to verse 5 uh, talks about older ladies teaching uh, younger women. And it says they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So Paul shows what older women should teach younger women and hence what younger women should be like. And perhaps it's obvious, but if an older lady is to be teaching this to a younger lady, then the older lady probably needs to have these things under her belt already. So these need to be characteristics that apply to the older lady. And as I said before, I have a, a particular passion for the family unit. I think the, the doctrines of complementarianism, of, of the difference between ladies and gents being uh, equal in value but different in roles, I think these things are, are beautiful. 
And I, I wish that I could articulate that to you and, and get across all of my passion about that to you. Uh, I'm totally reliant upon the Holy Spirit, so I, I hope that what I have to say in these coming verses um, comes across in the way that it's written, really. I hope that that's the message which is imparted to you. But the concept should be one that is exciting, regardless of whether, regardless of whether you're a, a lady or a man, the thought of being discipled by those who are older in age and in wisdom in order that these characteristics would be put into you in order that they would similarly produce good fruit in you ought to be something which is exciting and i know something which uh, in my own life and i think in the life of some others we've craved and perhaps not had the the joy of that coming to fruition so let this congregation be one who is uh, ready whether it be in age or just in spiritual maturity or in an area of a particular gift, let this congregation be one where we are ready to, to teach one another, to, to bless one another, to lift one another up in gifts where, in areas where we have been gifted. So in teaching what is good from the older lady to the younger lady, the result is that the young women will learn to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, work at home, be kind, submissive to their own husbands, and that the word of God may not be reviled. This is where Paul's heading to and something that we'll, we'll hit on a bit more in the next message. But all of this is in order that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to, to Proverbs 31. And I want to pick on for a little bit this, this working at home business. So does this mean that a woman can never do anything apart from cook, clean, and take care of the children, only do things within the home? I'm enjoying that pregnant pause. <laughs> the answer is no, but in saying that, I think it's, uh, it's good for us when we look at a text of scripture, even if it rubs us the wrong way, and perhaps especially when it rubs us the wrong way, to look at what the most obvious meaning of it is and to accept that and to submit to it in joyful obedience. I've, well, in my own life, being a, a husband, I'm told to, to love my wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. I'm to exemplify the same love that Jesus has for the church for my wife. Let me tell you, that is an impossible task, but nonetheless, it is one that I'm called to do. Um, and it is something that, that will challenge me for the rest of my life, I assure you. Uh, and that is the surface meaning of the text. Let's do a similar thing here. But I, I would say that ladies can do things outside of the home, but let's appreciate the importance of the, the home unit. In short, I think this working, uh, working at home business is to show the focus of the lady's life. The focus is to be on uh, not just the four walls of the home, but those within the home, those who are within her circle, be that for a, a married lady, her husband and perhaps children, uh, or be it for a single lady, those whom the Lord has put in your life. This is to be the focus, how you can bless these people. And you can hear probably uh, even from me saying that, that this applies really broadly to, to men as well. Of course, we are to be selfless as Christians, but for ladies, there is a particular focus on 
on the outward blessing of others. So Proverbs 31, uh, I'm going to read verses 16, 18, and 24. 16, 18, 24. It says, She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. And verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So this lady is certainly involved in things that are uh, outside of what most might obviously be called homemaking. But her primary concern and part is in the immediate care of her family and in homemaking, her household. Verse 27 says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And so the training of of older godly women was to result in younger women loving husbands, children, and working at home, or having this focus on those within her home unit, we could call it. Rebecca Merkel, who is uh, involved with the sort of, I wish I could remember the name of the church, but the Douglas Wilson kind of clan, uh, has this quote from a book of hers called Eve in Exile. It says, but a woman raising her children is not only shaping the next generation, she is also shaping little humans who are going to live forever. The souls she gave birth to are immortal. Immortal. That's her repeat, not mine. And somehow our culture looks at a woman who treats that as if it might be an important task and says, it's a shame she's wasting herself. She could be doing something important, like filing paperwork for insurance claims. And folks, uh, even in uh, mine and Tracy's own experience, have said similar things about uh, Tracy. So I I'm saying this objectively and not just because I'm proud of my wife, but Tracy is uh, an exceptional chef and in her working life would exceed her peers. And it's been said of her that you know, it's, it's sort of a, a shame that you won't get to go back to that. But really, uh, Tracy in her, her work within our home and with our, our children is able to train immortal souls who will go out into the universe and preach the gospel and take dominion and serve Christ wherever he would have them be. I don't really see that as a, uh, a lesser occupation. And of course, as it happens, she's able to use her chefing in that context also, but even if she didn't. So men are to lead, to set the direction, to take the initiative, uh, but ladies really have the primary on-the-ground role uh, in raising up the next generation of Christ's children, immortal souls. So older ladies in your, in your teaching and younger ladies in your learning, when you clean, cook, teach, nurture, comfort, go to coffee, shop, socialise, create welcoming environments within the home, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and in such a way that you are training up children or those within your circle of influence uh, in righteousness and godliness and in such a way that if it be applicable, uh, you are showing love to your husband and children. Foster an environment where godliness can flourish. Make the whole of life a living, breathing sermon, a living, breathing sermon or lesson on godliness. You know, sometimes ladies are upset because 
the pulpit is not a place that uh, God has designated for them, but I would say that ladies have potentially even more opportunity to influence others uh, when pursuing this kind of role than someone who uh, stands behind a pulpit for a few hours on a Sunday. I didn't get that. Could you try? <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently the commands of God to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And know that the Lord will help you as you seek to do this and request his hand. So I say, as opposed to what the world would say, I say praise God for the glory of womanhood. And I think that what the world has made of it is a, is a blasphemous, terrible, terrible thing. Uh, so may we be among those who uh, support this properly and who uh, have a, an appropriate love and support of godly women. And lastly, verse 6. Paul says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That word, likewise. So after listing all of the characteristics that have come prior, Paul then says, likewise. So it's, it's as if he's saying, after the same manner. So as, as all these things that have followed previously, get the younger men to be self-controlled. So really, it's not just that younger men have to be self-controlled, but the younger men have to assume all of the characteristics that have come beforehand. But perhaps if the younger man pursues self-control as his main goal, all of those other things will come naturally. And regrettably, how many younger men that you know can you seriously say that young man is self-controlled? Unfortunately, in our, in our day and age, and once again, even for myself, it is a characteristic which is, is sadly lacking in many people. But younger men pursue self-control and to those of us here today who would class ourselves in that younger man uh, category does that apply to you are you a self-controlled individual it means to to think in such a way that would be considered sober to think in such a way that uh, is not out of one's mind and to think in such a way that is humble that doesn't think too much of yourself does this define you as a man? Because Christ's children, for, for all of us, young men, young women, older men, older women, Christ's children are not to be uh, like the world, but a little bit better. If we've had that heart surgery, which scripture speaks of, whereby the, the heart of stone has been removed and the heart of flesh has been put in, we are to be vastly different from those around us. Again, not to our glory, but to the glory of God, to the glory of the heart surgeon, to continue the metaphor. So be salt and light. Actively bring flavor and moral preservative. Use youthfulness for Christ's purposes and not uh, one's own selfishness and hedonistic enjoyment or selfish pleasure. So to conclude, and, and just in brief, what a... What a world it would be if we put these characteristics into place. And what a, what a church to the glory of God we would be if we all uh, 
aligned ourselves with these characteristics and pursued them with zealousness. So let it start here and with us. Let it start within our families and, and within the, the circles of influence that God has given us. In order to do that, we need to know, very simply, what the Word of God says, and we need to, to do it. And this, this kind of passage makes that easy for us. It's not obscure, it's not really difficult to interpret. Uh, it's almost like a checklist of things that, uh, that we want to have in our lives. Not a checklist of things we need to do in order to be saved, uh, but a, a kind of list that we can look at to know if we're headed in the right direction. So may it start in the church and in the home. Men, lead well. Women, raise and make amazing homes. Young women, be discipled by godly older women and likewise for young men. And young men, be manly, mature, self-controlled, upstanding citizens of Christ's kingdom. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for, in many ways, the simplicity of the passage. As I said just now, it's not one that's difficult to interpret, uh, but it may be difficult to apply to our lives. I pray that, that by your Holy Spirit's power, you would use the words that, that I have said and, and use the passage as it is written uh, in order to impress these things upon our hearts. May we go forth from here, not beaten down, but encouraged, Lord full of your spirit, full of zealousness to pursue these things, uh, that to your glory we might uh, change the world, that, that your kingdom might be extended through us. Thank you, Lord, for it, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.